What if I were to tell you about an incredible blessing from God that would take your devotion to deeper levels, your joy to greater heights, and your faith further than you may have ever imagined? What if I were to tell you about an incredible blessing from God that could cause you to seek God like you have never sought him before, take your Christian life closer to the heart of God than you ever thought possible, and be the path which God uses to answer your prayers, give you peace, and heal your heart. What if I could tell you about that incredible blessing? Would you appreciate it? Would you like it? Would you thank him for it? Would you use that blessing for its intended purpose to do all of those things? What is this incredible blessing according to the word of God? This vitally important, but yet so often misunderstood blessing, what is it that can do all of those things? One word, affliction, affliction. We're all familiar with Joseph's and James and the Apostle Paul's instruction on the blessings of affliction. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, wow, blessings of affliction is, is our preacher out of his mind. Well, he may be, but that's another story, different sermon. Uh, there's so much material in the Bible on the blessings of affliction, I couldn't squeeze it all into one lesson without just footnoting some of it, as you'll see later on. For example, as I said, we're familiar with Joseph's and James and the Apostle Paul's instructions on the blessing of affliction. Consider, consider Joseph. We know the story, sold into slavery by his brothers, made a slave. We know about Potiphar's wife. We know the whole story. We know the affliction that Joseph suffered. And yet, what does he say in Genesis 50 and verse 20? He says this. When he confronts his brothers, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. His affliction was a blessing through which God operated to save many people's lives. Okay? We're familiar with God's words to the scattered and afflicted Christians of the first century to whom James would write, according to the English Standard Version in James 1 verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is he telling you? He's telling you there's a blessing to these trials that you've got to understand. That's why they're being allowed to happen. There's a blessing to this affliction, as it were. And of course, we're very much aware of the Apostle Paul writing to our brethren in the first century Church of Christ in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, where he pleads with the Lord three times that this thorn would be removed from his flesh, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul responds, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood the blessing of affliction. The blessing of affliction. But what about some of those verses in the Bible, and there are a lot, that actually include the word affliction within them. You know what we find in a lot of the verses in the Bible that have the word affliction in them? We find the word joy as well. Let's take a look at a few. Open to me tonight in your Bibles to Genesis 41. We'll go back to the story of Joseph and we'll start there. The first thing I want for us to see is that God can make us fruitful even in the midst of our affliction. God can make us fruitful right in the middle of our affliction. Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 and 52. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God can make us fruitful in the midst of our affliction. In fact, sometimes, it is those who are afflicted who are the most fruitful for the Lord. Turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. It is often the afflicted who are the most fruitful for the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at the first five verses. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now watch this. That in a great trial of affliction, this wasn't a little minor thing, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, you see that joy is right there in the same, same text, as this great trial of affliction, their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, begging or imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Deep affliction. And yet, they are so fruitful because they are so joyful. He says in verse five, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. As we look at that passage right there, again, we notice that affliction and joy are not mutually exclusive terms. In fact, they occur in the same text. Affliction does not have to rob us of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, affliction is often the catalyst through which God can multiply our joy in Christ. Turn to me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. 
We're going to look at several different texts in the book of Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, sometimes we get it in our heads and we think, there's, there's, wow, I, I don't even think, you know, affliction. Well, Doug, you don't know what I'm going through. Look, we've all got our issues. We've all got our problems. And I understand. I'm not belittling anybody's problems. I'm not. But look at the text. Look at what God has to say, because the Bible's true, even in this. And sometimes we just don't see this. And, and tonight I want us to see what our afflictions can do for us if we allow God to do what he intends to through them. 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verses 6 and 7. He says, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy. Affliction with much affliction, with joy. That's what the, the Senate says. Of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. No, our affliction shouldn't take away our joy. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 9. Look at what he says here. 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. When we are afflicted, God, we appreciate his, his reaching out to us and his joy and his comfort even more. If we were never afflicted, we wouldn't understand or experience or appreciate to the same level the comfort and the joy that we have in Christ. We would even notice from 1 Peter the following. 1 Peter 1, look at verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. While the word affliction itself doesn't appear in this text, it goes right along with what we've been talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks to those who have this incredible inheritance in heaven, verses 3 through 5, and he talks about their salvation and how wonderful it is. But look what he says in verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice. In everything that's waiting for you in heaven, you greatly rejoice. Though now, on this earth for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, look at this, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. You are so happy you can't stand it. That's what that phrase means. You rejoice with joy inexpressible. You have so much joy you can't express it. Well, wait a minute. He says you're doing that now, but notice the context now is when they're going through the trials while they're on earth. Now is when they're going through the fiery furnace. But he says, even now in the midst of that, though now you do not see him yet believing, you're so happy you can't stand it. Paul would state in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Brethren, when the affliction strikes, we see it, we know it, we feel the pain, we do. 
But he says, you know what? In the midst of all that affliction, we're not looking at the things that are seen, but we're looking at the things that are not seen. We're keeping our eyes on heaven. We're keeping our focus on God, even in our affliction. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's nothing that we undergo in this life that's going to last forever insofar as the afflictions and Satan coming after us. Because guess what? When we get to be with the Lord in heaven, Satan ain't going to be there. Look what, he, look what Isaiah writes. Let me just give you this one verse. Isaiah 49 and verse 13 says, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. God comforts and has mercy on the afflicted. You want to be comforted by God? Is that what you want in your life? Do you want God's comfort in your life? Do you want God's mercy in your life? Do you want to experience that? That's what God does for those who are afflicted. That's one of the blessings of being afflicted. Look what David says in Psalm 34. Look in Psalm 34 at what David says about this. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. Psalm 34. It's amazing when you start looking at the word affliction in all of its forms, how many times it occurs in the Bible, how many great people of God understood affliction, experienced affliction, and yet look at their joy. Look at what David says in Psalm 34, 17 through 19. We need this. We need this so much. We need to understand this. The righteous cry out, Psalm 34, 17, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Folks, if they weren't having distresses, they wouldn't be crying out. When they do, God is there for them. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's a key, key line. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, some of these, these preachers will preach about, you know, the, the good time gospel and the gospel of prosperity and how all you got to do is become a Christian and all your problems will be over. Folks, that ain't Bible. You say sometimes, well, I'm trying to live right. How come I've got all these problems? Look what it says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Living the most righteous life you can, you're still going to be afflicted. But here's the beauty. But the Lord delivers him, that is the righteous, out of them all. Isn't that a beautiful passage? I love that passage. Did David know anything about the blessings of affliction? <laughs> he knew the blessing of affliction and how it created within a person a much deeper faith and trust and reliance upon the love and power of God. Folks, when we struggle, when we struggle and we are afflicted and things hurt, we realize at that point that we can't handle some of this stuff. Only when we're allowed to be in that position do we really turn to God and fall on our knees the way that God wants us to and rely on him. Turn to me to some more of David's writing. Look in Psalm 25. I told you there's going to be a lot of scripture tonight, and we haven't even got to the point where I just referenced them. Psalm 25. I want to encourage you tonight. This is another key text. Psalm 25. I think it's important to watch the wording here. We're going to look at verses 12 through 21. 
Psalm 25, 12 through 21. Now, Revan, just read it. There's some things here we need to point out. Verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Please notice, before we get to the rest of this, that if a man fears the Lord, God is going to teach that man who fears him, but God's going to teach him using the tools that God wants to use. God is going to teach that man who fears him the way God wants to teach him. Well, how's God going to do that? What method is he going to use to teach him? You probably already see where this is going. Affliction is going to be part of it. He himself, verse 13, shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Talking again about that man who fears the Lord in verse 12. Now look at 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Not only is God going to teach that man who fears him the way he chooses, verse 12, but there's a secret here that the Lord has. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. There's a secret to this. There's a, there's a way God's going to teach him. So this man says in verse 15, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. He goes on to say, Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been large. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. It is no coincidence in this text that this righteous man says, God's going to teach me however he wants. God's going to teach me the secret however he wants. And he goes on to talk about his afflictions. God allows him to go through them so that this man will learn to wait on and depend on the Lord. Verse 21. I don't know if there's any better series or, or any better psalm or chapter in the Bible on this idea than Psalm 119. Longest psalm, obviously, of the book of Psalms. But over and over, have you ever noticed in the book of, of Psalms, in the 119th Psalm, how many times affliction is listed and, and all the benefits of it? Let's look at it. Psalm 119. We'll just take some little references out of this psalm. When I say little, I mean only a verse or two or five. Psalm 119, look with me in verses 49 and 50 to begin. We're going to take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sections out of this because it's all through it. Psalm 119, verses 49 and 50. Watch the benefits of affliction. He says, remember the word to your servant, verse 49, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. What does David say? He says, when I'm afflicted, where my comfort comes from in the middle of that affliction is because I put my hope in God's word. My affliction causes me to put all my hope and all my trust in God. And he says, that's where, that's where my comfort comes from. I can do that. That's one of the blessings of affliction. Look at verses 65 through 67. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Don't miss the power of that passage when it comes to the blessings of affliction. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before the affliction hit, before the trouble hit, I went astray from your word. 
But guess what affliction did? Affliction brought him back. But now, verse 67, I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. One of the blessings of affliction is that it brings us back to God and his word. Look with me in verses 71 and 2. Over and over we see this, and it is so beautiful. He says, how many of us can say this? We all should be able to. That's the point of tonight's lesson. But verse 71, he says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. Why? That I may learn your statutes. When it was out of his control, when he was afflicted, when he was hurting so bad, and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't find the answers, make the answers, he wasn't strong enough, he said, that brought me back to your word, Lord. You ever, just raise your hand, have you ever known somebody who in their deepest, darkest hour turned to the Lord? That's when most people turn. That's the point here. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, he said. Wow, that brought me back to your word. The law of your mouth, verse 72, is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Wasn't that way before he was afflicted, because before he was afflicted, he went astray. This, this, this psalm is just overflowing with this. Look at the next few verses, 73 through 76. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. He says, God, because you're faithful to me, because you saw me when I was going astray, because you wanted me to come back, I know that in your faithfulness, that's why you afflicted me. So I'd come back to you. You see the blessing of affliction? Affliction is a huge blessing. Look with me in verses 89 through 92. Forever, O Lord, verse 89, your word is settled in heaven. That should bring us all peace. God's word is, is beyond the ability or the reach of time or man to tamper with. And this is where his hope is. He goes on to say in the following verses, starting in verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. He recognizes the power of God. And then look what he says. Unless your law, which was established in heaven, verse 89, had been my delight. If your law, if your word hadn't been my absolute treasure, my delight, look what he says. I would then have perished in my affliction. How many people do you know, maybe former Christians who get out there Life got tough. They walked away from the Lord. They walked away from his church because they didn't hang on to the word in their affliction. But he said, I would have perished in mine unless your law had been my delight. Verse 92. Two more real quick. Look at verses 105 through 107. Your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Was David a man after God's own heart? Was David a man that God loved and took care of? Was David righteous in the sense of being what God wanted him to be most of the time? If you think David is going to be in heaven, raise your hand. And yet, look what David says in writing this. He says, I, in these verses, 105, through 107, he says, I am afflicted very much. Listen, 
being right with God does not mean you're never going to have affliction. The righteous are always afflicted. He says, revive me, O Lord, according to your word. And finally, in verses 145 and following, look at what he says. Psalm 119, verses 145 and following. David was hurting, but his afflictions were a blessing. He says, I cry out with my whole heart. Verse 145, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I cry for help. See, I get up still dark, God, and I pray to you. I'm hurting. But he says, my hope, verse 147, I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches. He can't sleep. He's so restless. He says, that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness. They're far from your Lord, from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you founded them forever. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. I want to share with you, and I'm not turning to any of these, but just for those of you who are taking notes, there's so much of this. According to the word of God, some of the other blessings of being afflicted include a much more earnest seeking of God. Jonah 2.2, Mark 5.21-34. And of course, when we're more earnestly seeking God, We know what's going to happen, right? We're going to ultimately and legitimately find God, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Another blessing of being afflicted. We have a deeper, stronger, and more sincere worship from those who understand and appreciate God's providence and involvement in their affliction. Exodus 4, 31. Psalm 22 and verse 24. Another blessing of of affliction is a greater remembrance of God's deliverance. When we are afflicted and God delivers us, we have a more vivid remembrance of God's deliverance. Deuteronomy 16, 3, 26-7 and many other places. Another blessing of being afflicted is that we have a deeper devotion and willingness to sacrifice to God. Remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.11? Do you remember Hannah? She's been afflicted. She hasn't been able to have children. And so she has a deeper devotion and a willingness to sacrifice for God, to, to give the son that he gave her back to him. One of the other wonderful blessings of being afflicted is a far more powerful and persistent prayer life. Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 13. Brethren, affliction is the tool that God often uses to open our eyes and ears, to humble our hearts and minds, and to get our complete and undivided attention so that we will truly humble ourselves before him and learn to trust him. I got one name for you, Job. 
Enough said. One of the greatest blessings of going through the fiery furnace of affliction, one of the greatest blessings of that entire process is that God often uses that to refine our faith in order to make us more fit for the halls of heaven. Isaiah 48, 10, Malachi 3, 2 and 3, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, the Bible is, is brimming with this message. But even then, when we're in the midst of that fiery trial, that affliction, that, that furnace of affliction, one of the greatest blessings that we have is just like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God has promised to walk with us through it, hasn't he? He has. Indeed, in Isaiah 63 and verse 9, it says, in their affliction, he was afflicted. That brings me so much comfort. In their affliction, God talking about, in the, in the scripture there, Isaiah, talking about God's people, in their affliction, God was afflicted. Isaiah 63 and verse 9. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. God went through them with it, went through it with them. Affliction. Affliction is what the faithful Old Testament people of God were called to and rewarded through. Hebrews 11, 37 through 40. The word appears in that text. Affliction is what Moses chose to suffer rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Hebrews 11:25. The word is in that text. Affliction is what our first century brethren, as well as all of our brethren in every age, are called to go through as well. Hebrews 12. The Apostle Paul had affliction. He said he had affliction and anguish of heart in 2 Corinthians 2.4. And yet you know what he did in his affliction? Scripture says he rejoiced. Colossians 1.24. Even though Paul had affliction and anguish of heart, he endured and he experienced the Lord's deliverance through them. 2 Timothy 3.10 and 11. And he went on to warn young Timothy that you know what? Affliction is part of the territory. It's part of the package. It goes with it. He warned young Timothy as well as every Christian to come thereafter that they would experience affliction in their Christian walk as well. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, 5. Message tonight is this. Affliction goes with the territory. We as Christians, rather than trying to avoid it, evade it, hope it doesn't get to us, we have got to anticipate affliction. And we have got to rejoice and rely on God and allow affliction to be the blessing through which we grow ever closer to God by going through it. That's what the scripture says about the blessing of affliction. This is going to sound strange, perhaps, or it would to some who had not heard this lesson, but afflictions are indeed an incredible blessing. 
What a blessing they can be if we would only learn to see through the fog of deception that Satan throws at us and, and weaves when they strike and, and makes us, you know, pity ourselves or think, oh, woe is me, what have I done? What is this terrible thing? No, 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 God, God wants to use them for a positive thing. God wants us to appreciate his presence and his power at work while we're going through those afflictions. Some of the most righteous people in the Bible. Affliction was piled on. I want to turn to one more text before we conclude tonight. Psalm 107. If you're turning there, I want you to understand something. Psalm 107 speaks of people who are in the midst of affliction for a variety of different reasons. They're, being, they're in the midst of affliction, some of it's self-imposed, but they're in affliction for many different reasons, but yet the outcome is always the same. God's deliverance. Let us look, beginning at verse 10. We're gonna look at three different groups of people. Verses 10 through 22. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. This is one group of people. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor, they fell down, there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. God is awesome. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze, cut the bars of iron in two. That's one group. Let's look at the next group. Verse 17, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of all their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Comes to the same conclusion. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Two groups of people here who are afflicted, pretty much self-imposed. Excuse me, one group because they rebelled against his word and another because of their iniquities. But then he gets to this next group. Look with me in verses 35 and following. Talks of God turning rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Here he talks about the wicked, but then he shifts gears, he turns it around to the positive in verse 35 for the righteous and it says, he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. And sow fields and plant vineyards, they may have a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. God has blessed this people. This people, it says next in verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, in sorrow. When these people who are being fruitful, these people that God has blessed, when they encounter oppression, affliction, and sorrow, God pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no water. Yet, 
He sets the poor on high, far from affliction, makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and I hope tonight that you've taken notes and you've listened. I hope we are wise enough to see that God has a purpose for allowing affliction, many good and positive purposes. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. God loves us so much and he is not trying through allowing trials and afflictions to come upon us. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to destroy us. He's not trying to punish us. He's trying to help us to lean more on him. He's trying to help us not to go astray. He's trying to help us to realize how much the world can beat us up and that we need him. God's trying to keep us close. He's trying to use affliction as a blessing. And I hope that we will be wise and understand that. That's why there's so much scripture tonight, because we don't typically maybe see it that way. Do we understand the positive and purifying power of our earthly afflictions? Do we understand that we have this treasure in earthen vessels? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us? We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, excuse me. We are perplexed, but not in despair because we understand the blessing of affliction. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but we're not destroyed, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. Do we understand that tonight? The lesson is yours. I hope when you go forth from this place, maybe there'll be a little bit different look at maybe some of the things you're going through. And I hope that we'll understand that the next time that God allows affliction to hit us, his love that is behind it and what he's trying to accomplish through it. God loves us so much. He gave his son. He's not doing anything to hurt us. He's trying to help us to grow, to lean on him, and to be more faithful and be better prepared for the halls of heaven. We have an awesome God. And he blesses us through our affliction. If you're here tonight and you have never become a child of God, you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you're here and you're struggling with something and the lesson has made you think, you know what, I need to start looking at this different, but I need strength to get through it. I need strength to see it differently. I need to see it the way God said. If you need the prayers of the church or to become a child of God, please don't stay in the pew. It's not that far down there. Really, it isn't. I walk down here every Sunday. Come to the front if you have a need as we stand and sing.